Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And today on the show, I'd like to welcome Lisa Scott, CEO and founder of Intuitive Edge and author of M&A Plus, Amazon's number one new release in its category. Lisa is a high-energy, seasoned entrepreneur, business strategist, people developer, and active California licensed attorney. Her background is also very multinational. She's lived and worked in many countries and is proficient in Mandarin Chinese. That was a shock to me. I did not know that. Thanks for joining us today, Lisa. Thank you. It's good to be here. Mandarin Chinese. Yes. And do you speak it fluently still? Um, no, I'm not going to lie. I, it's you know I I had the opportunity to practice a little bit with someone I just met recently. Yeah. And I could get through some conversation, but. That's a um, tough language. Pretty rusty. Pretty rusty. That's a tough language. So we had a speaker um, that was also an international speaker at Success North Dallas a couple of months ago, and she had she was teaching English in Japan, and one of our members stood up and asked her a question in Japanese, mm-hmm. and then she just like rolled off into this Japanese. I'm like, I had no idea she could speak that language. <laughs> That's amazing, I, and I think that is so. I cannot speak a second language. I, I speak. Texas and English, mm-hmm. kind of. More right. Texas than English, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us today. I think this is so exciting. And I, and I love to tell the story about how we got connected. And I think ours is kind of a unique connection story. So you want to share with our audience how we got connected? Um, I actually met some folks at the VIP consulting group. I was introduced to them by someone, and I don't remember exactly who it was. <laughs> and we were. Ta- I was talking to them about, hey, you know, I could maybe help you guys with um, your your uh, forum that you're in, maybe speak, because I'm trying to find other avenues where I can get more in touch with CFOs, because a lot of our customers um, that we work with, we work with the CFO. And they said, hey, you should be on our podcast. We got to get you in touch with Casey. And then I found out that you know all these other people that I know. And then, <laughs> like, we might as well have already met. It's kind of funny. It took this long, but. yeah. Yeah, it was so interesting because we actually ran into each other. We'd had a Zoom call, and mm-hmm. then we ended up running mm-hmm. into each other at a gala. A women, exactly. Women's, women's Business ga- Council. Yes, mm-hmm. and that was so – and I'm like, wait a minute. You're coming on my podcast. Right. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. But fun. I love that it's such a small world, and mm-hmm. it's just – it's so important that – we remember that when we're dealing with people, that it is a small world because you never know when that conversation is going to come back to either exactly. help you or hurt you. Mm-hmm. And so I'm actually speaking on that later tonight on an interview, which is going to be, I've got a really good personal story for that. So, but this is not about me. This is about mm-hmm. you. So tell me a little bit about you, your journey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause you, I consider you a non-traditional when it comes to your career path. So tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about how you got started. Um, how I got started with my job, my current career. Um, I can start with that. Um, so I worked in the corporate world. So first of all, let me just go back to law school. So I did graduate from law school, and there's a whole other story before I even got to law school. 
but I did graduate from law school and I tried to work in some law firms and I tried to do the traditional path and it was really difficult for me to sort of fit in my personality to um, the way everything is set up and I was just getting bored and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I love the fact that I got a legal education because it teaches you how to think and how to spot issues and it comes in handy when you're trying to, you know, strategize things um, and, you know, think really clearly. So the legal education itself was great. It's just the jobs that um, were presented to me weren't, didn't seem all that exciting to me. So um, I did actually um, start looking for something more exciting and more a better fit for me from the beginning. Mm. So I did start working at a company where I was helping them manage their contracts and I did not pass the bar yet and they helped me put me through the bar and everything. Um, so I did get my license to practice law, but I ended up doing everything in-house all the time. And so throughout my career, I found all these different um, gaps in the fact that, um, you know, the legal departments in these companies are not always involved in the operations part of the company and they, they have so much on their plate already. And the business units are always asking for more and asking for faster. So I'm like, well, there seems to be a gap because um, the fact that I had a legal background and was able to manage a lot of documents and still work with the attorneys and understand kind of legal issues that we needed to watch out for and make sure the company was covered for, um, it was just um, a gap that I saw that I ended up creating a company based on that. So the first area that we got into was merger and acquisition transition. Mm -hmm. um, I did go through two of those when I was working at a company. Um, the company had bought two different um, large scale operations where it involved transitioning procurement contracts over to ours, to, to the, you know, to the one company to another. And so um, I worked in that area and it was very chaotic no one ever knew what it did. there was no like set process for it it's it's a very specialized area where everyone's trying to figure out what to do and pull resources in to do it and when i left that world i basically took you know it took a few years to hone in on what exactly it was i was offering but i was able to do it and i got a big contract that um where we were able to help um actually it was dell was our first customer oh wow big customer and we helped them separate rsa security from dell so that was our first large project that took a long time to get it and it made us uh, from there it you know made us create our infrastructure and our business and then we were able to get a lot of projects after that that's pretty amazing yeah. so all right so tell us a little bit about intuitive edge mm -hmm. and what sets it apart from other legal services because you still kind of do legal services yeah. right yeah we do we we have project attorneys we call them project attorneys so what we do is we create teams that are multidisciplinary so mm -hmm. they would include a project manager project attorneys and contract administration and we also now have it support and possibly other subject matter expertises as we need um, depending on what we're doing so it's really a full solution for an operational um, responsibility to manage contracts with the legal expertise, with somebody that can actually build bridges through the company, coordinate, and work with the legal departments. Because we do work with legal departments a lot, and we draft a lot of language, and we're often involved in negotiations of contracts. 
So would you consider yourself an outsourced legal department or an add-on? I, I would call it more of an add-on. Okay. And in addition to legal, we don't just focus on resolving legal issues or doing any, we don't do any legal representation. So we, um, it's not considered legal representation what we do. So it's, it, it goes more into the business. So it's, it's a, it, there's some overlap with legal and there's some overlap with business operations. Can you give us an example of what that would look like when you're, you say there's an overlap. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like when you go into the business operations? So for example, a procurement department mm -hmm. might hire us because they need to um, manage a, a certain set of contracts that they're receiving from a company that they're purchasing, for example. So okay. we would work with the procurement department on setting up a process for that. And it's not only the legal department that needs to be involved in that. There's all kinds of departments. There's the, the finance department. There's the, um, the uh, risk management department. There's, you know, there's going to be contracts related to HR. There's going to be contracts related to IT. So there's all these different um, coordination that needs to happen within the company. And so for us, that's what we do. We work with the entire company to push these contracts through, to get them through that are in compliance with, um, you know, what, it, what the compliance regulations are and what their legal department wants us to do. Mm. And, and I'm curious, I mean, do, do most companies not have someone that helps with that or that does all that coordination? Yeah. So they do. There's a lot of roles. You, you can call, there's contract managers, there are category managers in procurement departments. Okay. There's a lot of roles all over the place. Um, the problem that happens is when, which is why we're often involved in the M&A space because um, that's a, a short period of time that needs a lot of work that they, there aren't ex not enough existing people to do it. So that's, that's kind of what we focus on helping companies do. And for example, if there's a spinoff, like you said, there may not be anybody to hand that t function to. There's a spinoff, and they're they're building a new entity to take all of that new, you know, business. I, I can see where that would be a problem, and especially I think about especially when you have a spinoff, because you need all of this, you know, people inventory. But sometimes when you have a spinoff, you start losing a lot of people too because they get nervous. Yeah. They don't know what's going to happen. That happens a lot. Or even if you have, if you're yeah. acquired, same thing. People, I just talked to a candidate today. It's mm -hmm. exactly why they're leaving the company selling. And exactly. there's a whole lot of people that are thinking the same thing. They all think they're alone and yeah. unique. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you, I'm hearing from all of them right. in that department that they're all worried because the company's selling. So I can see where your expertise would become mm -hmm. very valuable at that time point in yeah, time. Yeah, and we've developed the expertise to go into this chaotic and transitional situation and help... Um, you know, solve problems within a kind of a mess, mm -hmm. simplify the mess or organize a mess. And we're used to that. That's what we do. Something tells me you kind of thrive on messes. Well, I, I thrive <laughs> on messes. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, yes, I would say throughout my career, I, you know, like one of my first jobs, I remember, um, you know, I saw, I saw all these contracts and all I did, all I did was go around and gather all the contracts and put them on a list and put some information about each contract. It was a small company mm -hmm. that I first worked at. And there was about 
I don't even want to say there was like 50 vendors. That's it. And, but they weren't organized in any fashion. I'm like, I wonder, I wonder, um, you know, if I put everything on a spreadsheet, you know, if that would make sense. And so I did, and I showed it to the CEO, the president of that company. He's like, oh my God, that's so great. We, <laughs> we actually now know that we have all these contracts and when they're expiring and, and they didn't know that before and they thought it was great. And it's just a simple exercise, but you know, a lot of companies actually lose track of their contracts so easily because it's, it's a decentralized and it's, you know, people forget, they put things in drawers and, and they may even have things that aren't signed or, you know, terms that exist that they don't even realize that they need to extend or they can't get out of contracts because the termination clauses are a certain way. Um, can, I, can I tell you something that I did recently? Because this doesn't just happen in business, it happens mm -hmm. in life mm -hmm. too, right? So I'm embarrassed about this, but I'm gonna share it. Mm -hmm. So. I recently engaged with a company. It was funny because they, the company that um, they hired me to come speak and do a training, but at the same time they also um, help people to negotiate their electricity and all that kind of stuff. And my electricity, I thought I was just like everybody else, like the rate was going through the roof. And they come back and they're like, "Good news, we're going to cut your electricity in half." And I'm like, "Yes! <laughs> Why have I been paying so much?" And they're like, "Did you remember to renew your electricity bill or your electricity company?" Mm -hmm. No. For over a year, I had been paying like the top rate because mm -hmm. I had not renewed mm -hmm. my contract. I need a you in my life. Exactly. So, I mean, <laughs> imagine that on the scale of a company. Yeah. They have electric bills too. Yeah. Right? They have the same contract. That's so crazy. It's a good example. And, and there's all kinds of. And that was a 50% savings. Boom, like that. Yeah. So, yes, I yeah. can see exactly where that would, you know, impact the bottom line of mm -hmm. a company mm -hmm. and how important this is. But from what I understand, the way that you do it and mm -hmm. the services you offer, mm -hmm. you're able to do it in a more cost-effective mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. So, tell us, how do you do that? How do you make it more cost-effective? Uh, well, because we have a, we, we make reason out of the mess. So, we, we create a playbook. We look at everything. We look at everything that exists, which is probably sometimes the first time a company ever does that is just look at everything and see what exists and it doesn't take that long to do that really um and then what we do is if we know the if, if we know what the business goal is we'll create a playbook based on that goal and mm -hmm. the playbook basically shows everything that exists all the categories of things and what needs to be done with each thing and um during the execution if this is the first uh, so this would be the, the, the first ask, and if we don't get that, then there's a fallback position. If we don't get that, there's, it's already written. It's already established. And um, I don't know if you're going to ask me about my, the OASIS cycle, but that's, the OASIS cycle is a good way to explain um, Yeah, that process. was actually the next thing yeah. I wanted to, because I think that that's, you know, interesting because you um, definitely, it, it was your visionary perspective that led mm -hmm. to this development of the OASIS cycle. So mm -hmm. please right. continue. So, what is this? So the OASIS cycle just explains it all in, in five words. Organize, analyze, standardize, institutionalize, and then synergize. So I was to standardize. So uh, creating the playbook is and templates and all the things that you're going to need to run the project. Mm -hmm. And then institutionalize means, um, you know, making sure everybody knows their piece in the in the, pro in the process. Now, during the standardization process, usually there's multiple people involved in creating that, so they probably already know, but institutionalizing that process is an important step because that's making sure that everybody understands their piece and you're not gonna have to explain to people <laughs> why you're doing something you know, in the middle of it and then it's gonna make things less efficient. 
And then synergize is actually, um, synergize is a big word and it means a lot of things. Um, and part of it is, you know, the, the way that we provide our service, the, the unique method that we have, and it has a lot to do with our culture. So it's basically um, how we get people to do what they need to do. How do we, how do we manage the chaos? How do we manage the fact that, you know, there's people that want to leave the company? Mm -hmm. You know, there's, it's, we call it soft touch or, uh, you know, managing those relationships. And it's actually not even just with our client, it's also with the third party. So like if uh, one of our clients has a contract with say Microsoft or Amazon, mm -hmm. uh, it's also managing with them because if, we, if, if they have a productive relationship with their vendors, it's gonna be easier conversations. And it's, you're gonna be able to get a response and you're gonna be able to get um, a conversation about what you need and what you don't need and that leads to reduced costs or efficiency. So all of those things matter. So our culture is very much centered on building relationships, lasting relationships, and we call it soft touch internally um, about how we approach a situation. Well, I, and I think that that's so important that mm -hmm. you you have that cognizance that it's not just the people in the company, but you've got to, like the electricity company, mm -hmm. you've got to be able to talk mm -hmm. to them and manage that relationship. Mm -hmm. And I, I keep taking it down to a very granular, granular mm -hmm. level, but I think it's important to kind of grasp the concept mm -hmm. on a bigger level mm -hmm. is to understand that. And so I, I think that that's so important. And, and I did this myself when I finally negotiated for my, I didn't negotiate, <coughs> pardon me, I hired somebody mm -hmm. to negotiate for me, but it was very interesting the way that they dealt with me and I dealt with them. So I can mm -hmm. see where that would be important. Um, all right, so what I'm curious about, because I have a very non-traditional career path too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and a lot of people are like, how did you make that leap? And I'm like, God, it was so natural. Mm -hmm. It was really, it's where I should have been all along. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm curious with you because you have a non-traditional career path as well after you got your law degree. And um, what advice would you give to someone like me or like anyone that mm -hmm. is currently, um, you know, wants to go this route? Like mm -hmm. I just graduated with my accounting degree. Everybody says I need to go into accounting. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. What advice would you give them to not follow the norm? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really actually simple. It's not that difficult. It's just there's so many things in society that makes you think that you shouldn't be doing that. But it's basically just follow your passion in your heart and being really brave about it. And even if it's just a little bit brave, I mean, being outside your comfort zone is actually a good thing. It's always a good thing. It always ends up being a good thing. So, um, I mean, that's what I would say to people. And, you know, I've heard, I have said that to people and I get responses like, well, you know, what, what are you going to do? Or what? Well, I mean, I have followed my passion. Okay. When I graduated from, let's see, I was in high school. I graduated. Um, I all of a sudden wanted to learn Chinese. So I started taking Chinese. So then I'm like, well, I'm not gonna be able to learn Chinese very well if I don't go to China. So then I went to China and then, um, from China, I was like, man, I want to go to a university that, that I can take advanced Chinese classes because now I'm really good at Chinese and I want to do it. So I ended up going to the University of Michigan because they were one of the only universities at the time that had it. So I'm like, okay. So I go there and I, I studied anthropology and Chinese language because I was really interested in just learning about the world in general. Um, and then after that, I was like, well, you know, there's this really cool job opportunity in Japan teaching English. So I, I just 
um, decided I'm going to do that because then I'm then I can learn about another country besides China and still be in Asia. And I was still on this Asian thing where I, I wanted to learn all about Asia and the history and um, and so I I spent two years in China teaching or sorry in Japan teaching English. Did you learn Japan? It was Japanese all based too? on my. It, it was it was ba just based on what I what I what was pulling me. Yeah, it pulls you. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't know what was going to happen or what career I was going to do. But at some point in Japan, when I was teaching English, I said, "Well, I'm going to apply to law school now." Because <laughs> that's and, the obvious next step. Yeah, that's the obvious <laughs> next step. And one of the reasons I and the, you're going to laugh at this, but one of the reasons that I wanted to go to law school is because. Um, all my life growing up, people said I was dumb. And no I was like, I, I, because I question things, I don't have answers for everything, and I don't act like I'm, I know everything. I mean, I was kind of, this personality that I have is sort of like that, right? Um, and so, um, I, you know, I got called airhead. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say dumb. It was airhead. She's an airhead. You're such an airhead. What? Ha, ha, ha. And that I got, is so hard guess for me to what? believe. After I graduated law school, no one ever said that. I didn't hear that word again. <laughs> Not one time. People so, can be so mean. <laughs> exactly. So I went into law school knowing I might not be a lawyer. I, not, I might not be a traditional lawyer, but I just wanted to go and do it and pass a bar and do all that stuff. And it was it was really hard for me at first because you know I didn't have, um, you know, my background was uh, made it maybe a little bit difficult. But I just kept doing it. Like my first semester in law school, I didn't do very well. And then after that, I just I just kept trying, and I ended up getting the highest grade in the hardest law class. Conflicts of law, that's like considered one of the hardest. And I got the highest grade in the class and I got an award for it, an award for it. So um, I'm kind of like that. I'm like, it's, it's like I try, 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 and then I, all of a sudden I get really good at something, um, even though I sucked at it in the beginning. You know, I kind of, you know, I've done that many times. And I still suck at a lot of things, but. But, but you're not afraid I, to try. But that's the point, I'm saying it, be brave. Just yeah. kind of be brave about what you're doing and just do it, right? I, I love that so much because you took what so many people would have held on to as a limiting belief, like mm -hmm. you're an airhead, mm -hmm. and they would have internalized that, and then their brain would have looked to prove to them that they were doing that. And you're like, no, mm -hmm. you don't get to define me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to define myself, and I'm going to prove to you, not that you had to prove to them, mm -hmm. maybe you prove to yourself that you're not an airhead because yeah. you have a law degree now. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're one of those females that we want to follow. <laughs> I think that's amazing and I think so much and I love how you explain that about you know being pulled mm -hmm. and so so many people when they're being pulled towards their passion they're so afraid of all the obstacles around them that they almost cut the cord mm -hmm. and they don't let them be pulled and I mm -hmm. think that if we will allow ourselves to be pulled in the direction that we most naturally want to go in mm -hmm. that that's where we're yeah. going to find happiness mm -hmm. so yeah I mean I, I probably I've, I've been pretty happy my entire life I mean I don't I don't I don't feel like I regret, you know? I don't have a, any regrets, actually. And I, I never had a, a plan, a, a, a strong plan. I'm not gonna say there's not a plan. I mean, there's things you have to do that you don't like doing. You have right. to take tests, you have to, but it's still, there's, there's this pull and a, and a passion and it's not necessarily in the pl standard plan that kind of society has or your parents have for you yes. or whatever. I think that's very true that, you know, and, and that's another thing that I want to really encourage people, especially as you're starting out in your career, is that 
go really figure out what it, you are passionate about, mm -hmm. not what your parents are passionate about. Because so many times mm -hmm. as parents, we want to live out our own dreams mm -hmm. that we didn't get to accomplish through our children. Yeah. And that puts the child in a place where as they grow up, they're not happy. And I'm not going to say that my parents did that to me, but you know, I got stuck in a career for 20 years mm -hmm. that I was absolutely not aligned with. Mm -hmm. And finally getting out of it's what woke me up and mm -hmm. set me free mm -hmm. and set me on my passion path. And so I think that's really mm -hmm. important. So, all right. I want you to tell me a little bit about your book. We've got a okay. copy of it here. Mm -hmm. Um, M&A plus, mm -hmm. if we can see the copy of the book, there we yep. go. M&A plus. So how did you come up with the name? Tell me, tell us what it's about. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and it's a number one bestseller in this category, right? Yeah, it, I don't know if it is now, but it, it was. Well, you can't stay number one forever. I know. You got to share the spotlight a little bit. <laughs> right, exactly. Still, at one time it was. So, <laughs> tell us about what inspired you to write this and mm -hmm. what it's about. What we can learn in the, if we read this book. Yeah, well, it was super cool to be able to, um, you know, kind of think of a concept of a company and then kind of work toward what you think is going to work and then mm -hmm. it actually works <laughs> and then it actually evolves. So, um, the book is sort of based on the service that we provide that has evolved the most and that the team was able to sort of um, improve and create as a product. It's like a product now that we can sell, like a service right. product. Um, so to be able to go from sort of zero to that is actually pretty amazing. So, um, you know, I mean, a lot of business owners, you know, write books about their, if, if they have like a unique niche or something and I just wanted to, kind of share that in the book. But the book is kind of cool because I didn't want to make it like a boring, I don't want to say every book is boring. <laughs> I didn't want it to be a boring business book about a process. Okay, right. processes can be very boring to read. So each chapter is, you know, there's a quote and you could actually go through and just read the quotes. And there's only 10 chapters and it's a beautiful book. It's all in color. And, you know, the design of the book was really important because I wanted it to feel like our brand, right? Yeah. So. Um, Very simple, right? I'm exactly. Just... So it's short. It's only 100 pages. And it, it does talk a lot about my past and my why, um, you know, why I wrote it and why and what I did to get there, basically. So there's a lot of kind of bio biography, autobiography in the especially in the beginning so i was and a lot of people that are not in business or in m&a have read it and they said oh that's really interesting you know it's 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 not so over their head right you would think a lot of yeah specialized I, I, business books might be over people's head if they're not in it but this and you know people have commented about the fact that um you know oh now i understand how things work in business right? yeah <laughs> I, I like this the fantasy of forever gets in the way of planning for tomorrow mm -hmm. So I, I'm a big quote person, mm -hmm. so I'm going to really There's enjoy looking yes. at the quotes and <laughs> reading the book. So, all right. So I have one more question for you. So I know, and we talked about this earlier, you being proficient in Mandarin Chinese, mm -hmm. which I'm so impressed because I know that's not an easy language to, number one, learn, mm -hmm. number two, speak, mm -hmm. right? And are you, um, can you read and write? Mm -hmm. I, could, I was very fluent in reading and writing when I graduated from college. That's incredible. I mean, I studied it day in and day out for five years straight. I mean, wow. it was just, you just practice and practice. And I was, you know, speaking all the time. I was dreaming in Chinese. I was oh, thinking, that's... thinking in Chinese all day because it was just, it, you know, I might as well just bend Chinese, actually. 
<laughs> well, do you think, how do you think this has aided your professional mm -hmm. development? Um, I mean, I think it, it, it's actually, that's a really deep question because like I just said, if it's in your head that much, you, it, it tends to help you understand different perspectives. I mean, the Chinese language is way different than English. I mean, I would say any language is different from each other. Uh, but the way that they say things, the way that um, the pictures in the you know, in the characters, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it gives you beyond a different perspective. It's just a way to think different. I mean, you think different even about things. So it's not even just about a culture perspective. It's, it's your brain gets used to thinking in a different language. I mean, think about a different language and like, I mean, you could compare it to like, is it French that has the masculine and feminine? Like if you were, if you were, if you were bilingual in French and English, right? Well, in French, you're thinking of everything in masculine and feminine in English, you're not right. So it's like a different, your brain is basically just working different completely. And, well, and I think that's a good thing. You know, mm -hmm. I'm absolutely fascinated by the brain and mm -hmm. by NLP. In fact, that's going to be my next certification um, just because I'm so fascinated about how we can rewire mm -hmm. our brains. But mm -hmm. it sounds to me like what you're saying is that not only are you rewiring your brain when you do that, you're expanding the capacity mm -hmm. of use of your brain. I think so, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. So. So what's one piece of advice that you would give to someone that, and you've already answered about the non-traditional, but like just in general, let's just say I'm going down a traditional career path. Mm -hmm. What is the best piece of advice that you would give to someone that's just starting out? I mean, I would say always be open-minded and always stay curious, like always mm. be curious. Don't ever let that go because just always go back to your childhood, how curious you were. Cause there's so many things going on in the world and so many opportunities and you're not, you're not gonna notice or see it if you're not curious enough, right? That is so beautiful. Is that one of your quotes in the book? No. <laughs> I, I think so. I think curiosity is key. Yeah. yeah, you should. That's because that's important, important advice. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, don't have your head so far mm -hmm. down that you do miss those opportunities mm -hmm. when they come your way. Yeah. You've got to be open to them and you've got to be looking for them always. Yeah, exactly. And that's where the curiosity comes yeah. in. And I've been called an airhead because I'm curious. And like, I'll be curious, like, I wonder why he said that. Well, duh, it's, everyone else is like, well, duh, it's because this, this, this. It's like, well, I don't know, maybe not. Yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, that's just, you're just being curious. So, I mean, I, I, would, I would give that advice and I give it to my daughter, actually. I told her, you, you better, not, if she's hanging out with somebody who's, closed-minded I'll be like you better not lose your curiosity mm. you're hanging out with someone that you know isn't very curious and I don't want you to lose your curiosity I tell her that. I, I like <laughs> how you phrase that they're not very curious I'm not yeah. real, I'm not comfortable with you hanging out with people that aren't very curious <laughs> right? that's pretty awesome okay well I'm curious about something so I have some VIP questions for you mm -hmm. and I'm curious to see how you're gonna answer them with your whole curious self mm -hmm. all right so my first question if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things oh. or people would you bring mm -hmm. with you? Yeah, so probably um, a handyman. I thought a handyman. Okay. I mean, I I I have my house, right? And I handyman is like handyman can do a lot of different things. They can help do everything. Um, the other one is person or tool, right? It's you can bring Anything. three things three or things three persons or, person. or mix it up. Okay, I thought another thing to bring in, this is kind of an obvious one, but you know, like 
food or seeds or water. <laughs> I don't know. Don't you need that? Like that's a basic thing, right? Um, and then maybe the other one would be like a like a a psychiatrist or. A, <laughs> I mean, in case you get imagine, too curious. Well, I mean, imagine it's you know what it would do to your psychology being yeah. the first colonist on Mars. I mean, how do you get through the mental part of it? Do you think we'll see that in our lifetime? Maybe not. Well, I don't know. Maybe people will be on Mars, but I don't know about colonizing. Didn't you say colonizing? Yes. <laughs> yes. I I'm curious if we'll see people well, on ask Mars. Ask Elon Musk. He thinks we are. So. I know. I know. <laughs> he was so excited that his rocket blew up the other day. <laughs> I was like, okay. He's like, this was a huge failure. Failure is a step to success. It right? is a step. The to next success. step to success. So, all right. So, what is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Okay, this one's really simple. The only thing that I do is go outside every morning I don't really do anything spectacular I don't like take a cold shower I don't exercise in the morning sometimes but it's not like a normal thing to do um, I literally just go outside do you go outside barefooted um, well I probably put my sandals on but I have bare feet but not not necessarily sometimes just curious because yeah. I mean, you've heard of the technique of grounding right yeah so I was just curious if maybe you went outside to ground and you just well, didn't want to say it. If I get up in the morning and I'm tired, if I go outside, it like makes me wake up. It energizes me. There, there's yeah. electrical energy mm -hmm. that comes from the earth. It's yeah. so and important. And it, it doesn't have to be a long time. It could be five minutes. Yeah, exactly. I encourage everybody to read mm -hmm. up on grounding. And then grounding. I start thinking about, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. And then I'm... <laughs> then you're off. Then I'm off. But I'm awake. <laughs> we need to talk about your morning. <laughs> All right. All right. My final question. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, mm -hmm. what would the headline be? Um, I think it would be, um, she's, she always follows her passion, but she never knows where it's going to end up. I think that summarizes you perfectly. <laughs> I think that's perfect. Just the short amount of time that I've gotten to know mm -hmm. you, I, I would totally agree with that mm -hmm. title. So. How do people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Um, well, my email is lisa at intoedge.com. Our website is intoedge.com, in number two, edge.com. Um, and we'll have all this in the all show of notes. My, yeah, all of my contact information is on there also. And are you very active on LinkedIn? I am. I know that's Extremely. where a lot of our users yes. go, so they can reach so out to I'm you. So I'm easily findable on LinkedIn. And then the book, of course, is on Amazon. If you type in M&A plus Lisa Scott, it comes up. Congratulations Thank on you. the book. That's huge. So, well, I have thoroughly enjoyed our time together here today, and I just have one last thing to say to you. Mm -hmm. You are a VIP. Thank you. <laughs> and that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.